Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. I can already see calls coming in to do with the local property tax because we discussed the local property tax this week when we got the news that the review of the local property tax which was due to take place in November of this year we now have been told that's been deferred until November of next year 2020 which means that the changes to the rates of what you actually pay on your property tax will not happen until uh, 2021 and we also know that the majority of people well they reckon about 80% of people are in houses that increased in value. Now just because it's increased in value it doesn't mean that your local property tax is automatically going to go up. You may still be within the same band. We won't know until the review happens. They might extend the bands uh, etc. And Finbar and Balancholic has been on with a pretty good point. He says, how does the Minister for Finance or indeed the government expect pensioners, a pensioner in their 60s, in their 70s or perhaps even in their 80s to be paying local property tax? If you're living on your own in what was once thriving, busy family home, all the family are gone and you're now in that house on your own, how can you be expected to pay property tax? Some houses could be worth 300,000 are more and a lot of pensioners will be living in areas where house prices have increased since 2013 when the original valuation was set. I mean Fimber says in his own case in Ballincollig they've seen huge increase in the price of uh, houses and of course you know there are areas like uh, Bishopstown, Douglas etc. Many areas you know have really seen house prices uh, go up and the knock on effect you know people are worried does that mean that they're property tax is going to go up as well. And then Fimber says if his house burned down in the morning he would only get the rebuild cost which would be €150,000 from the insurance company. That Does that not need to be looked at when you're looking at the value of a property? Do you look at just the value of the building rather than the building and the land? So he's all a bit worried. And I think the very fact local property tax has been mentioned people are starting uh, to get worried uh, about it. And of course, we have council elections in May. So it will be the new councillors when they're voted in that will decide whether the property tax that you paid this year will be the same amount that you pay next year. Because I was just checking as to when it was done and it seems to have been September of last year that the then council decided whether they were going to increase the local property tax or not because... Councillors at the moment, every council has the option of increasing or reducing the local property tax by a maximum 
of 15%. And last year for Cork County Council, there was a push, uh, certainly remember the Sinn Féin councillors were pushing for it to be decreased by 15%. But obviously the council was saying, if we do that, we're going to lose out on money. So they left it the same, but they could have gone with the other option. They could have gone with the option of increasing it by 15% that some councils around the country actually did. So we don't know as of yet what we will be paying next year on the local property tax but there is the possibility that it could go up by at least 15% but it also could decrease by 15%. But then I read in the papers today that that's that that one function that councillors have about moving the base of the local property tax under the recommendations in the government report they could remove the ability of councillors to reduce local property tax. This is the review of the local property tax that we've been talking about all uh, week and it's the, it's, it says that the government will set a standard rate that then will, can only be adjusted upwards by the local councils, by the local authorities. They won't be allowed to decrease as they are allowed to do at the moment. Now this I think is going to most impact on Dublin because all of the four local authorities in Dublin where obviously property prices are at the highest, they all dropped their rate for 2019. Every one of those saw a decrease anything from 5% to 10% to 15%. They will not be allowed to do that in the future. In the past, Cork County Council certainly on one of the years uh, reduced it. A couple of other councils, not many now I have to say. In the main councils around the country keep the rate as is the base rate that's set by the government. Some have gone on to increase it. Not a lot. I think last year there was only about five councils uh, increased. Some went, you know, 2.5% up to the maximum that they could of uh, 15%. And I don't know if anyone actually decreased by the 15% last year. As I say, I do know in one year, Cork County Council uh, certainly did. So that's going to take a little bit of power away from the councillors. Now, I don't know how the councillors themselves are going to feel feel about that. But as I say, that's just one of the recommendations in this government report. There are a number of recommendations in the report and we're going to have to wait to see what from the report will the government decide to do. They're not going to do it now in October, in November of this year, which we were expecting it's going to be the uh, following year. And as we mentioned yesterday, when we were discussing the local property tax, I was speaking with the county mayor, Councillor Patrick Gerard Murphy on the programme. And one of the questions uh, that I put to him was how much of the local property tax that's collected in by Cork County Council stays with Cork County Council and as he explained to us, 80% because currently local authorities pay 20% of their local property tax income. It goes back into what's called the equalisation fund so that those councils with lower incomes can get a top up. But it seems in this review group, they're suggesting that every single council around the country would retain the 100 percent locally. Now, obviously, they're saying it will help to strengthen transparency and accountability locally, but the knock on effect, it'll be an additional cost to the exchequer. I mean, the council that seems to be always named and used is Puro Leitrim. It doesn't raise a lot of money. Obviously, there's not a lot of houses there and there's not a lot of valuable houses there, so they don't raise a lot of money from the local property tax. So they're one of the councils that get money under the equalisation. Now, if that equalisation fund is disbanded, then obviously the exchequer are going to have to help out the likes of uh, Leitrim Council. Now, for for counties that 
uh, for councils that bring in a lot of money, like the Dublin, the four Dublin local authorities, where we have a huge population base, the most expensive houses in the country, they're the ones who would really benefit from 20% of their their property tax because they probably give the biggest chunk into that equalisation account. So I could see the Dublin councillors going for it. Now, obviously, it would be a benefit to us here in Cork County Council and Cork City Council as well. Anyway, they're just all of the suggestions and the recommendations that are there under the review. It is not to say that every single one of those recommendations are going to be made because I know another one of the recommendations that I was reading about uh, during the week is the one where you defer if you can't pay and I'm thinking of, of Finbar when he was saying about pensioners living on a you know on a very tight income there is the option to defer but you have to be I think it's on 15,000 euro or less and then you can defer your property tax and the idea would be when you're dead and gone the money then comes out of your estate it gets paid that way and, and some people opted to do that but they're saying that that 15,000 euro income should be raised I think the suggestion is to 18,000 but again because the review hasn't happened there's going to be no change for this year or certainly for next year should there be exemptions for old age pensioners yesterday we heard from a number of old age pensioners who made that point that they worked all of their lives they paid taxes all of their lives they paid their mortgages some of them paid their mortgages in very very difficult times when mortgage mortgage, um, interest rates were really, really high and they struggled to pay the mortgages, struggled to put their children to to school and college. And now that they're in the autumn of their years and enjoying their retirement, they're slapped with a cost of local property tax. And some people see it as very unfair. So I, I welcome your thoughts on that. Do you think that pensioners of all of the other groups of people, let everybody else continue to pay it if needs be, let the general population pay a little bit more in order to facilitate that pensioners wouldn't have to pay. And the idea is we'd all pay more during our working life and then when you'd hit the age of 65, 66, you won't have to pay property tax anymore. I would welcome people's thoughts on that. 1850-333-103. We are going to discuss insurance costs on the programme this morning. The Oireachtas Finance Committee yesterday heard about insurance costs and heard about how high insurance premiums are affecting businesses. Businesses are closing down and when a business closed down, jobs are lost and it has a huge knock-on effect for the area where the business is gone and if it's on a main street we've seen what's happened over the years on main streets and towns and villages when businesses have closed they almost become like ghost uh, towns play centres is the big focus at the moment and if you have young children in the house you will know the fun that children get from play going to play centres you may have hosted a birthday party in one of these play centres and the one thing I have to say I love about the play centres when I'm in any of them is watch besides watching the kids having fun is watching the amount of exercise that children get they will come out sweating out of those play centres they will, will have burnt off so many calories we are constantly hearing about childhood obesity we're constantly hearing about children being inactive, spending too much time on smart phones and smart devices, spending too much time gaming that they're not getting out and about, they're not playing with their friends. So then we have these play centres and they can be very very busy on the weekend or during the uh, holidays and it looks like if 
fraudulent and exaggerated insurance costs and if insurance premiums continue to rise we could see the end of the indoor play centres or even the end of outdoor playgrounds for children in this country and that would be a real, real shame. So we're going to talk about that on the programme today. Also hearing problems that some private housing estates are facing when the council take over the running of the estate. There seems to be some kind of a legal loophole there to do with the developer still owning the property and could that then lead to a developer coming back Are the descendants of a developer coming back and looking for ground rent? So we're going to talk about uh, that. We heard yesterday that the North Cork and the Lee Valley are to come in under the Wild Atlantic Way. Now I can hear people saying the Wild Atlantic Way. How far away is North Cork and the Lee Valley from the Wild Atlantic Way? We're going to find out what it all means. Obviously from a tourism point of view it's going to be uh, very important but what will it mean for the Wild Atlantic Way and what will it mean if you live in the North Cork or Lee Valley uh, areas? John Kenny will be joining us before 12 o'clock today on the programme. He is bringing his current play which is called Crowman. Now this the, I think it debuted in the Midsummer Festival, you know, the Cork Midsummer Festival. I'm sure that was the start of it uh, last year. Seems to be on a bit of a mini tour at the moment and he's going to be in Yall tomorrow night. It's a one-man show. Now, it's I haven't seen it, but I've read terrific reviews. I mean, I know every time that John puts on this play, he gets a standing ovation is he, everywhere he goes. The intensity of one man shows, I think, are, are incredible because you're just you're transfixed by one person on the stage. So you don't have to be darting around looking at what everybody else is getting up to. Because I have a huge, <laughs> I have a huge um, issue when I, a problem when I do that when I'm going to particularly a show that might have a lot going on on stage. I'm darting because I don't want to miss anything. So that's uh, what I love about one hand or one, you know, one man plays or two hander plays. You can just really concentrate. You can really get inside the mind of the actor. And John Kenny, by all accounts, in this play, Crowman, just sucks you in. He plays all of the characters through one of the characters, if you know what I mean. So we're going to chat with uh, John and, and we're big fans of uh, John Kenny on the programme. And I know he's got a lot of fans that listen to this programme as well. And then in the final hour of the programme, Mark Malone will take us to the movies and give us some suggestions of what we can watch either by streaming or by going along to the movies. Your thoughts and comments welcomed throughout the morning. Some of your thoughts and comments on property uh, tax and should uh, old age pensioners be exempt from paying property tax? Finbar and Bannacolic is making the point that a lot of old age pensioners are living in homes that were once family homes. Some of them could be large family homes and some pensioners can be living in those houses on their own and there's a huge value on the house but the income coming into the house doesn't match the value of the house. It's the old age pensioners are asset rich rather than cash rich and he feels it's very unfair that if they do change the bans and we know house prices have gone up he feels it's very unfair that old age pensioners will have to pay so much more by way of property tax. So we're asking that question should old age pensioners be exempt in that they've paid enough taxes throughout their life and when they get to old age should they be left alone to live out their days and let the younger generation and the people that are out working that they pay the property tax even if it means they pay more 
in order that pensioners are allowed to get away without paying uh, property tax. John says, Patricia, it was a Fianna Gael government that gave us property tax. People should remember that when the voting, the next set of voting comes in. Christine in Cork says, I absolutely agree. Pensioners shouldn't have to pay property tax. They shouldn't have to worry about increases in taxes. They're just about managing as it is says Christine in Cork and I don't know if Christine is a pensioner herself or she's speaking uh, she knows of pensioners who are just about managing and therefore shouldn't be forced to pay but then Nancy in Bantry has a different view completely she says I don't mind putting the little bit away every week and even if it means an increase in the local property tax I'll put the little bit away every week because Nancy in Bantry says she rathers that she's paying it than putting all the burden of taxation onto her children she feels that that's a very unfair suggestion and will be a very unfair thing to do. She says she can see it from her own children. They're screwed, she said, with the amount of taxation. Everywhere they turn, they're either taxed or they have bills coming in. She said the middle income, Middle Ireland, are being destroyed with all of these uh, taxes. She said, I think people need to handle the local, should handle the local property tax like the way the water taxes were 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 held. Uh, why are people being penalised for owning their own home? Okay, so I think this, the suggestion coming from Nancy is that people should be out protesting against the local property tax. And actually, I remember at the time when we did so many interviews about the different water protests that went on against water charges, there was a lot of people made that suggestion and said, you know, why did we so easily accept the local property tax? Yet when it came to a utility like water, a lot of people were up in arms. There was huge protests out in the streets, but there was never any protests about paying the local property tax. And I don't know, was it because revenue were involved with the collecting it or not? But if you think about it as well, the local property tax, we were kind of eased into it. Remember there was a household charge that everyone paid initially and then we went from the household charge into the local property tax and there was a kind of an ease into it. But yeah, it was accepted without much of a protest and Nancy wonders why uh, did that happen at the time. But as as an older person, she's very ha- not very happy, but she will willingly pay her local property tax rather than expect her children who are out working because they're already paying enough and she doesn't want to see them pay anymore. So she's with the other side, on the other side of the fence, saying to old age pensioners, put your bit away every week and pay your fair share. Don't expect the younger generation to do it for you. Thank you for your call, Nancy, to 1850-333-103. And can I thank... This email is from Hilary O'Farrell. Thanks to Hilary for emailing the programme yesterday. When I came off air, I got this email from Hilary uh, emailing us from O'Farrell's on Southmate Street in Bandon to say, Hi Patricia, I had a customer in who said you had a caller on your programme yesterday saying they couldn't get any Holy Easter cards. Well, we have a selection of Holy Easter cards here at O'Farrell's on Southmate Street in Bandon, just to let you know. Thank you for that, uh, Hilary. We got a whole host of different places and listeners coming in firstly with suggestions but then we started getting people saying no I actually saw cards on sale so they're straight from the horse's mouth if you're looking for religious Easter cards 
O'Farrell's on South Main Street in Abandon. And I don't know, I haven't heard back from Sheila because it was Sheila in Formoy, wasn't it, was on to us yesterday saying she couldn't get Holy Easter cards. So I don't know if she's managed to get some since. But thank you to a lot of people who are giving in the suggestions. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Now, a group that has been campaigning for insurance reform are warning that play centres across the country could be forced to close because of fraudulent and exaggerated claims. The issue was highlighted at the Oireachtas Finance Committee yesterday by the Alliance uh, for Insurance Reform. And joining me once again from that group is Peter Boland. Good morning to you, Peter. Good morning, And, and you're welcome. Now, Linda Murray, one of your board members, spoke yesterday. Now, she got quite emotional at the Oireachtas Finance Committee. Just outline Linda's uh, story and how insurance costs are affecting her indoor play centre. Okay, so uh, Linda owns a play centre in Navin and County Mead uh, and um, she, she I guess we got to know Linda when she arrived into a meeting in Gorey in County Wexford last year uh, where we were due to meet the, the minister responsible for uh, this area, Michael Darcy and she was so worked up about insurance at the time uh, that herself and her husband and her two small kids uh, packed into the car, came down, stayed overnight in Gorey and went to the meeting. And she's incredibly passionate about her business. She absolutely loves it uh, and the buzz she gets out of it and from the kids and their parents and uh, is so committed to it. But she had to borrow money last year to pay her insurance premium. So she saw what was coming down the line and um, she actually became a director of the Alliance in, in due course. She's well able to speak for herself uh, and well able to tell her story. But what has happened in the last 12 months or so with the play centres as a whole is that their premiums have rocketed again. And they're now looking at, uh, as there are about 81 of them in the country and across the last five years they're looking at increases of 560%. Oh, God. Right? Now, these are these are all small family run operations. Yeah. And what, typically, what happens is to give you a rough idea, they've gone from about two and a half grand to say somewhere between thirty and forty grand this year. Now that increase is effectively their wages. So there's now no longer any point in them operating because the reason that they were working for themselves was to be able to pay themselves a wage and keep their family. Uh, and that is not now now no longer available to them as an option. And they're awful upset. But the consequences of this uh, bear thinking about because increasingly with childhood obesity and the lack of facilities for kids, the weather that we have in Ireland, these play centres were a very handy uh, boost. Um, and they had popped up all over the place and they're terrific community uh, facilities as well as obviously being... Uh, business enterprises in their own right. Uh, and and they, they, are, they em- sorry for interrupting you, they employ people. People absolutely. get jobs out of these uh, play centres. Absolutely, absolutely. So the, and the, the facility, like it's amazing, most people are aware of them from being at birthday parties on a, a Saturday or a yeah. Sunday. Um, but during the week they provide such a facility for all sorts of voluntary and community groups as well. Um, and uh, that is being lost as they're closing. There are about eight or nine of them have closed so far as the renewals have come up. And essentially, what we're looking at at this stage is that they will all close as the renewals come up. Um, Now, there are two things I would say on that. First of all, if you have a play centre in your area and it's still open, 
support the living daylights out of it because they really need your support right now um, uh, because they are working desperately behind the scenes to try and figure out uh, some way of resolving this. They've formed a group and they're trying to get group insurance. It hasn't happened yet. But the broader picture on this then is what's happening behind them because Linda and her colleagues in the play centre uh, industry have been brave enough to speak about this and the consequences and we have a queue of other sectors that are going down the same road and are just afraid right now to speak publicly about it because uh, possibly they don't want to cheese off uh, the only underwriter they have available yeah, to them yeah. even if the quotes are enormous or they don't want to prompt copycat claims because claims remain a huge issue and fraudulent and exaggerated ones in particular. So you're not hearing the full story yet, but I wouldn't be giving any secrets away uh, to say that any business in the leisure or hospitality sector right now is being crucified by insurance costs. You can add to that, as we've talked about before, Patricia, uh, charities, sports clubs, voluntary groups, um, the PPNs around the country, the public participation networks, have started to join us. And these are a representative voice for very small community groups like men's sheds uh, and tidy towns committees. That's shocking. Small sports clubs it's, and the like. They're all under pressure. But, but, we, but we're back to, well, there's, there's two problems. One, the claims are too high, but also people, some people, Peter, are too quick to sue. Absolutely. And the, and the, the bit that really rankles with the play centres is when they have to pay out enormous amounts of money for incidents that were not their fault and were acknowledged as not their fault. Um, and so you have a situation where a minor injury, which is fully recovered very quickly, be it to a child or to an adult, uh, can take in the price of an extension to the back of your house. Um, so that's driving uh, the situation and uh, drawing people into the courts. And it's well worth uh, giving it a punt because as it stands, if you get caught out, there are no consequences. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you were you were before the Oireachtas, um, and and I saw Linda on TV, and she did get very emotional at yeah. the at the presentation. Did you get the message through? Did you know what reaction did you get from the Oireachtas members? A terrific, that's a terrific question, and this is at the heart of it. Um, on the day, we got plenty of kind words. Um, Michael McGrath, um, who's a member of the uh, committee, said that he would be holding the minister's feet in the fire until this gets resolved. John McGuinness, who's the chairman of the committee, said that there will be no more kicking the can down the road. That's terrific. Um, and uh, they're, they're nice words. We will hold them to it. Um, but the absolute key in this is political will, because the, the two guilty parties in this situation, if you take the claimsters out of it, um, the, the two who can make a difference are the insurance companies uh, and the lawyers. But asking them to reform their ways is like asking turkeys to vote for Christmas. It's just not going to happen. So it is down to political will, Patricia. Um, and it is down in particular uh, to the government that's in place at the moment. Uh, there is a minister responsible. He's a minister of state, uh, Michael Darcy. Um, we feel that he's, his heart is in the right place but he is absolutely not getting the support he needs. Yeah, he's like a lone voice, isn't he? he? He cuts a very lonely dash. He's, he's in the doll answering all the questions on this. There's nobody around him. There's no support. Uh, critical 
to solving this problem are the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, uh, and the Minister for Business, Enterprise and Innovation, Heather Humphreys. And we're seeing absolutely nothing from them um, We're publicly. Uh, it needs very public support. And I'll, I'll give you this key point on this. This has happened before, Patricia. In 2002-2003, we had a serious problem with insurance. But the political will was there, and everybody put their, no- their, their nose to the grindstone. And it was sorted within two and a half years. Right? Mm. We had all the reports we could possibly need, including the Cost of Insurance Working Group report, which was out two and a half years ago, and yet nothing substantial has happened. And that is done ultimately to political will. Why? So, why um, Why is there not political will there to sort this? Well, I, I hear constant talk of vested interest and clearly the influence of the legal profession and the insurance industry in Leinster House is profound. Um, but that doesn't fully explain it because last time around we had ministers who really wanted to get stuck into this, saw it as an issue and saw it needed to be done. And really complex stuff like the establishment of the Personal Injuries Assessment Board and all the legislation which runs this area now uh, happened within two and a half years. Um, we're not 100% sure of what is dragging them back, but it, is, something it is. is clearly happening. All right, OK, no doubt. We'll come back to it again, Peter. In the meantime, thank you for that. And uh, thanks oh, uh, for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Peter Boland of the great guy of the uh, Alliance for Insurance Reform. Uh, one day, hopefully, they will start listening to Peter and to his other board members. Um, and uh, like that lady, Linda Murray, who spoke yesterday, who broke down and cried yesterday at the Rockets Committee talking about her little play centre in Navan. You know, and she spoke about things like, this is my livelihood, you know, and she loves doing what she's doing. She loves, you know, her staff members. She wants to keep them in a job. And we are going to see more and more of those little indoor play centres close unless we get some kind of a handle and the government gets some kind of a handle on getting rid of exaggerated claw, uh, claims and fraudulent uh, clause uh, claims and bring down the cost of insurance. Now, at a recent Blarney McCroom Municipal District meeting, independent councillor Kevin Conway said he was less than impressed but not surprised by the reply the council had received from the housing minister over the issue of estates being taken in charge. Councillor Kevin Conway joins me. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning. Uh, and you're welcome. OK, tell us, what did you ask of the minister and what was Owen Murphy's reply? Well, basically, back around November, I discovered doing a bit of investigation on estates that there were green areas in some of the estates that were built in the 1970s and 1980s where the green areas were not taken in charge by Cork County Council. So basically, what I was asking was what was our legal position as, as Cock County Council and as members of Cock County Council regarding entering these green spaces to do maintenance or any other work for that matter and what was what were the implications down along the road considering that most of Blarney is now going to be transferred into Cock City for the next uh, local elections uh, they'll be in Cock North West. Now basically at the end of the day the reply I got back was giving me a bit of a history which I already knew about the estates and basically saying that they had no solution to the problem. Now, I and ha- how has it come about? I mean, is, is it a loophole in the law? It, it seemed to be, uh, I think, a thing that went on at the time with the agreement of everybody 
that the builders retained the right to own the green areas, right? Yeah, now, but does, does that mean they could change, charge ground rent? Yes, it does oh. indeed. At the end of the day, if it came to that, there's a possibility. And it is funny that you mentioned that, Patricia, because since I started investigating this and, and highlighting it at council meetings, um, I've discovered that there's actually in the state, not in Cork County, but certainly in Cork City, around the Glenmire Mayfield area, where um, a landlord is trying to claim rent under the houses where he built in that period. And it's uh, apparently going to law based on that problem. Because so technically that, that, that developer it. owns the land. Correct. He owns the land underneath the houses and, and he is legally How now ridiculous. trying to claim rent. So it's back to the old landlordism kind of a thing, mm. if you like. Now, the thing that worries me about this, Patricia, mostly is that I only in, initially investigated two particular places, not for uh, any particular reason, um, and certainly not for the reason of finding out who wanted them, because that didn't interest me at the time. I was more interested in seeing what you could do with the particular green areas in certain places, and I discovered this. And the more I spoke to people, and the more people rang me, which they did, by the way, the more I discovered uh, places uh, around the county, uh, and certainly even outside the county, I had people from Kildare and Kilkenny rang me. And the same seemed to be replicated throughout the country. So I foresee, down along the line, I foresee a major, major problem here. And, and of other, course, people living in these estates are probably unaware because oh, they're, they're private estates so people own their own houses, but they're <laughs> unaware that the green area and even perhaps the land their house is on yeah. belongs, to, belongs to the developer. To the developer. You're 100% right in what you're saying, right? And the other worrying fact about it is that there are the develop, some of the developers who built these estates, and by the way, in my locality, I would have known them during the 70s, personally, but they're long since passed on to their reward, hopefully, but their descendants um, are now entitled to pick up on where their um, parents left off. And I suppose in some cases, they're probably not aware of it. So it's it's I, it's a loophole. I would, I'm assuming it's going to need legislation, will it, to ch- to close well, off? It, it will take it will take national legislation to solve this problem, because we have investigated it at council level, and in fact, there's a problem for the council as well. Because I said uh, I asked the question directly at the council meetings, what way are county council personnel fixed as regards entering these green areas? Um, and basically for maintenance or whatever, and I was told, technically, um, they're not entitled to do so. So I said, well, I know a number of these green areas where they have done so, they've done maintenance in the last 12 months. And the answer I got to that is, well, if you give me, if you give us the names of the estates, then we'll make sure no more personnel will go in there. And I said, no, under no circumstances am I giving. Because that that means the green area doesn't get maintained. Correct. (sighs) Correct. And this is like, there is no way I'm going to get involved in something like that. So so you've written to the minister, but is is he almost poo-hooing it or is just not really interested? The can has been kicked down the the road, basically, at the end of the day. This is going to take, I mean, no... Um, unfortunately, I'm in, in a, I suppose, not a great position in that I have been on chemotherapy for the last five years, right? Okay. And I am, um, in fact, it's going to be a very awkward situation for me. 
I'm going to be running in an election and I'd say when I'm running I'm going to be inside the hospital because I'm due, due a transplant, a uh, stem cell transplant in the next couple of weeks. And my present position is I can hardly walk with pain. I'm on morphine, right? Yeah. I'm sitting in the chair now. I haven't moved anywhere for a week except in, in another hospital. And like uh, to get the energy to follow this up for me personally at the moment is pretty difficult. But when I have my transplant, hopefully when I get out the other side, I'll be grand because I did have one of them four years ago as well and I got four years of very good health out of it. So I will be following it up at the end of the day and putting uh, further pressure on the minister uh, or TDs for that matter to solve this problem. Because, I mean, as I say, we haven't identified, I mean, the other thing I'll be looking for from Cork County Council is, by the way, is a list of these estates to identify them and find out how many estates we're actually talking about here because it seems to be quite a number. Yeah, that was going to be my next question to you. How many How many estates are we well, talking about? Well, we but have an exact number. But it, 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 it'll be a guesstimate at this stage. We, we, we have no way of knowing. No, not at the moment. Okay. That will take quite a bit of research and that's going to be across both county and city now again because of the transfer of lands. Um, I don't know how the city uh, feel about receiving lands that may have complications in it at the end of the day. Yeah. I don't know whether that subject has been addressed in the coordination. Pass the problem uh, on to the, on to that, the city council. Okay. Do you know what I mean? But You're, I certainly um, myself would have serious, serious con- um, concerns about the whole thing and what may happen down along the line for both uh, people living there and the council and any other regulatory body that may be involved in these Estates are entering these. Estates. Going for okay, it's an issue. I know we we will return to. Can we, um, you're I'm I'm blown away by the fact that you're there getting treatment and you're still running. You haven't decided to take a kind of a breather and take a back seat for it all, Kevin. Well, no, I'll tell you what. No, Patricia, had it been any other situation, maybe where Lanny was not entering a new area, I may have considered that. But my main concern is I am the only real elected member of Cork County Council in the Blarney area, yeah. right? And I have serious concerns about that as well because So are you, will you, are you now running in the City Council? I am. I, it'll be it'll be Cork North West which Blarney will be part of. How do you, how, how will you feel about sitting on the City Council as opposed to the County Council? Well, I have no problem in theory but I mean, I did everything to try and prevent Blarney and Tower from going into you the did. City You did, you did. You were against it. Right, I fought a big fight there for 12 months on this thing. Um, unfortunately, like everybody else, I have to accept a democratic decision. Yeah. But my concern now is, will Blarney get its fair share of the apple pie, you know, when, when we go in? Because I can foresee, I mean, I have I have roads that are just over two miles away from where I'm living that are in the city, and they're in an atrocious condition. Now, if they're that way at the moment, what are they going to be like? And in fairness to the city council... They have to look after the people that were there already. Naturally enough, it would be a natural thing. Do you know what I mean? And I, by the way, I, I'm on the joint committee with the city council called CAS, mm-hmm. Cork Area Strategic Plan. I have a notice there for a meeting actually in front of me. So I have no problem with anything to do with the city council, even individuals in it, because I know all. But you it. just don't want Blarney to be forgotten about, is, no, is what you're saying. No, okay. I mean, if that right. means taking, sitting and, and representing Blarney for five years, 
And that's all I'll be doing, by the way. I won't be doing it after that. Okay. Listen, we're over on time. I have to leave it there. Sorry. Listen, the best of, best of luck to you health-wise. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, thank you you look, you look after yourself. Uh, and, and I know certainly the issue of the estates uh, um, coming under the care of the council is an issue we will return to again. Oh, yeah, but Kevin, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, Bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye. Blarney McCroom Municipal District uh, Councillor uh, Kevin Conway. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Local property tax still getting calls and texts in uh, from people on this. Mary, um, no, no, sorry. Um, okay, I'm going to leave that one there. I think that's oh, it's going to be a quarter to air, is it? I think. Okay, some of your uh, thoughts coming in on the local property uh, tax. Now, this, this firstly, Heidi says, Patricia, hi. I agree with the lady in Bantry who was uh, suggesting that. Um, old age pensioners should pay their own local property tax not not pass it on to their children. I'm an old age pensioner and I think it should be left as is with absolutely no increase at all. I'd put nothing at all extra onto it. I don't want more burden put on to my children. This property tax, when it came in, we expected that it would set a precedent. We should have done something at the time to state our disagreement with this tax so that we could have avoided paying it. We basically should have gone out and protest. We need to be more like the French and use our voices. People don't want to march on protests anymore but you can use petitions online look what happened with the supplements the increase that was meant to be 23% VAT remember there was meant to be the increase in all of the health supplements we spoke how many times with Annalise Drussell about it and and, and they're having second thoughts on that or they still they haven't said they're not going to introduce it but they certainly was meant to come in on the 1st of March wasn't it and that certainly has been deferred and they're looking at it again and that absolutely was down to people power and it wasn't people out marching on the street it was to do with there was a really good online petition and I know a lot of the health shops and a lot of the chemists around the country got people to sign and there was petitions going so the powers that be do listen if enough people shout and I suppose but probably too late now for the local for the local property tax we have a property tax and that is it and then Margaret says Patricia I'm worried sick about the property tax my husband and I bought our house in 1969 for the pricely sum of £5,500 as it would have been and that would have been a lot of money in 19. 19- at 69 we are living in a village in the county at the moment we're paying 235 euro by way of a property tax but we're now both in our 80s my husband has done unbelievably unbelievable work to this old house we've replaced the windows three on three separate occasions all the electrics have been done all the plumbing's been done I try to put away five euro every week as I do with all of my bills and at this stage we're barely surviving I'm terrified if the property tax goes up again we simply won't survive says Margaret that's a kind of heartbreaking uh, text it uh, really is well Margaret firstly let's allay your fears you're going to be paying the same amount this year and you're going to be certainly paying the same same, uh, well, we've paid for this year, haven't we? Most people would have paid either in January or if it was a direct debit paid in March. We're going to be paying the same amount next year and then the review will kick in November of 2020 and then it'll, it will be 2021. The only thing I will say that l- anything that I've read about the local property tax and this reform and what's going to happen and even though 80% of houses have gone up since the original valuation in 2013 but all the indications are that pro- that for the majority of people 
what you pay in your local property tax is not going to go up. It's either going to remain the same or if it goes up, it's not going to go up by much. I know the Minister himself, Pascal Donoghue, was saying one of his main objections was relative stability in how, for households with modest and affordable increases, he was saying, if they should uh, arise. So I think what they're going to have to do is if houses have gone up in value, and we know they have, they'll just widen out the bands so that you just, you'll stay in the same band and you'll pay probably the same amount and if it is going to be an increase it's not going to be a huge increase I think that's what's panicking and worrying people that they're going to get this massive bill and like Margaret it's like a lot of other people put away a little bit every week so that there's no surprise when the bill comes in but it's the not knowing and that's why when they came out this week and said we're not going to have the review that sort of gave everybody a bit of a breather for another year and then it'll be this time next year we'll end up talking again about what's going to happen in November and then at least we'll know and then people will be able to plan for the following year so try to rest a bit easy Margaret you're certainly okay for next year and hopefully then when the review happens it won't be too much of an increase but again as I mentioned earlier and I don't know uh, what bracket you fall into whether you'd fall into the exemption uh, one, not exemption a deferral one you could be you, you could look at defer, deferral because I would hate to think and I'm sure your family would hate to think that you're barely surviving just in order to pay your local property uh, tax Mary joins me on the phone line um, good morning Mary good morning Patricia Mary you've got an interesting story to tell about the local property tax you owed a small amount tell me what happened yeah I owed a, a little, uh, 45 euro and I don't know how this happened over the last couple of years but my daughter has been trying to get through to them and we've been trying online and doing lots of other things and they put us on hold, you know. Yeah. So I got this letter uh, the 25th of March and it says, I'm writing to you in connection with local property tax in respect of the residential property. My records show that you have not met your LPT obligations for this property and the liability and our return remains outstanding for the period specified below. Now it states period 2018. So the letter goes on to say, I serve notice that if you do not pay the outstanding amount within 14 days from the date of this letter, I will issue an instruction to Cork County Council to deduct €45 in equal instalments from payments to you over the rest of 2019. Interest may be charged on outstanding liabilities. Okay, you've got, you've some kind of a pension, it's your husband's pension. My late husband, who is dead nine years now. uh, Worked with Cork County Council. I worked for 33 years with Cork County Council, so they were able to track him down. Wow, see that's that's how revenue, it's all linked up because it's with uh, revenue. Yes. So, yes. so I asked that question, yeah. and he said it was a normal letter that they sent out. Yeah, standard. So now, they would de- they would deduct money weekly or monthly until the forty five euro was gone. Yes. Across. Oh, yes. Okay, dear. Yeah. And I picked up yesterday's Irish Daily Mail, and it said revealed sixty thousand homeowners pay no property tax. Yeah. Yeah, they're the people who bought a house since 2013 because it was the new houses. Or anyone that bought a second-hand house since 2013 have been exempt from property tax until the review, which was due to happen in November, 
It's right. not happening for another year. So they'll get another two years without paying property tax. So and I'm sure that annoyed you when, it, when you read that, I did it? I think it was a, not a nice letter to get. No, no, no. Because no. every time a bill come through my door, I live on my own. It's paid on the day. I know, I know. You know. You're, you're of that generation that yes. you, you don't run up bills. No, not at all. So not did you get all. back onto them and pay the I forty? Did, yeah. I paid it on that day on the phone. And, and do, you, do you mind me asking, Mary, how how did it happen that you were €45 Euro short? I don't know. I oh. must have paid half of something. And then for, and that in 2013, paid. I was very ill in 2014, all of that year. Yeah. And you know the way you, you miss things, little things like that. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I must have only paid half. Or a quarter yeah. or something. Because it's is it ninety euro a year is your local property tax? Oh, it's yeah. the lower band, is it? I'll just see that now. Yeah. Does it say on it what it is? Because um, they allow people to pay in instalments. You that's just, right. Yeah. Because yeah, I have yeah. a letter here stating that. Oh yeah, my it's god. 90, yeah. 90 yeah. And I tell you, you, yeah. you you get a letter like that from revenue and and you you we all jump, don't we when revenue yes. letter, yeah, yeah. frighten the life out of you. All right, Mary. Okay. Thanks, thanks for Patricia. that and thank you for sharing that and just proving you really do need to uh, any of those bills from revenue do need to be paid and I think that was one of the reasons that you don't hear that many people well, everybody gives out about the local property tax, but there doesn't seem to be any consensus about everybody getting together and getting out to protest uh, against it. Now, can I run something completely different? This was um, Dan from Mallow, who contacted us last week. And my apologies, uh, Dan, that I'm late uh, getting to your comment. But we'll give it out on a Friday because Fridays traditionally are busy days in town. People go out shopping, uh, they're busy in coffee shops. You know, people go in and have a cup of coffee, meet up with a friend. And it's on that particular topic that Dan contacted. He says, Patricia, I'd like to hear the views of your listeners, please, on the following. This morning, this was whatever morning it was that he was writing to us. Uh, I went into Costa Coffee. Nice coffee, nice staff, etc. The only problem that I had while enjoying my cup of coffee was annoying kids. I was having my coffee and beside me were three adults and a five-year-old. They were chatting away and the child was plonked in front of a mobile phone watching some type of kid's cartoon. That in itself is OK. This is not the child's fault. But the problem was the volume of the phone was set at full blast. So the entire coffee shop had to endure this racket, racket which went on for about an hour. Then another mum came in and proceeded to change the nappy of her baby on the seat in the middle of the cafe. Is it just me or are we as a society just turning into a selfish race of ignoramuses? God help the future generation at this rate. This obnoxious behaviour is everywhere and it seems to be getting worse says Dan in uh, Mallow. Well, I don't know why the mum would have changed the baby on the seat in the middle of the cafe because there's very few cafes don't have a baby changing area. So I'm I'm really surprised with that one. But the five-year-old with the phone up too loud, do people, and you will see that in cafes, you'll see it in restaurants, if you're on trains or buses, and it's used, absolutely. Parents will fess up and say they use it 
keep the child quiet. I mean, the mum of that little boy was able to enjoy having coffees and lattes and a little bun and a chinwag with her friends. And she was only able to do that because by popping a phone, by popping the child onto the phone with a cartoon, he was distracted for the hour. She was able to get her break and, you know, enjoy the company of her friends. And obviously she was, she's so used to having that kind of noise around her, I suppose, that she's oblivious. It didn't distract her in any way. But then you have Dan sitting at another table, having brunch, lunch, breakfast, whatever he's having. Um, And he's completely distracted by the fact that this child and the volume on the phone is too loud. So I suppose the question is, you can't stop parents handing the phone to a child to a a child to keep them distracted. We, we, you can't stop a parent doing that. But do we need to control the level of the volume? I mean, one way around it would be is to bring headphones in, but that's completely... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details making the child just then focus in almost in isolation is focused just on whatever he's watching but it would be a way around everybody else uh, hearing it but I wonder I mean I've I've noticed it I've certainly the scene that Dan paints I've seen on so many occasions I don't know if I've ever been put off by the noise coming from some other child's phone or cartoon or, or whatever I can't actually say I have but as I say, on many, many occasions I've been out publicly and I've seen that scene. I've seen parents hand the phone and you know why they're doing it so that they can have 
a little bit of me time and a little bit of time with the adults. Whereas if the child didn't have the phone in front of him, I, I don't know what kind of a child he would be. He might have been moaning and nagging and, and whatever. Now, you know, you can straight away say, well, there are lots of other things. You could get colouring books. There's other things that you could do to distract the child or the, what happened to the good old days of handing a child a book and letting a child read a book. And even though I know uh, a five-year-old probably too young to read. But, you know, colouring books and little packet of crayons because a lot of cafes do do that. I don't know if that's still widely uh, available. I know McDonald's were great for that. They used to have crayons and colouring pen, you know, little things to colour in. And that's a great way of distracting children as well. But what is becoming more popular and much more common is exactly what Dan has described. The parents hand a, a tablet or their own phone to the child there's free Wi-Fi in so many places now so they can stream something, let them watch it or, or have cartoons already downloaded and hand it to the, to the child. And then the parent gets a chance for some adult company with their other friends or maybe with their the other parent. It can be uh, can be a mum and dad out as well. And is there anything, what's so wrong uh, with that? 1850 I would be interested in what side of the fence uh, you're on. Are you with Dan? That it is very, very annoying and it's almost impossible now to go into a restaurant or a cafe and to get a quiet space without some child on a phone and the noise is completely, it's just too loud on the phone. It should be, if nothing else had turned down. Or are you with the parents to say to Dan, move along, nothing to see here. My child is, is quiet, sitting in his seat. OK, it might be a little bit too loud for you, but, you know, move to another part of the restaurant where you might be sitting beside us and you might not get to hear it so clearly. 1850 You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. O'Sullivan Pharmacy, that's a Dana Super Value in Mallow, they are looking for a full-time support pharmacist. Experienced full-time deli assistant is required. That's for a busy deli in the Canturk area. And an office administrator is wanted with sales experience that has an immediate uh, start. And senior software developer is wanted for work in the Toker area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Volta Ireland is currently working on extending the concept of the Wild Atlantic Way to the wider region as distinct from the Wild Atlantic Way route. To discuss the possibility of North Cork and the Lee Valley becoming part of the Wild Atlantic Way, I'm joined by North Cork uh, Councillor John Paul O'Shea. Good morning to you, John Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, um, you're welcome to the programme. How Thank important you. is this decision to those working in the tourism industry in North Cork and the Lee Valley? Yes, Patricia. Well, it's very, very important because I think um, we as councillors here in Cork County Council have been working with our tourism section in Cork County Council and with Falls Ireland um, for the last number of years developing the, the brand that is the Wide Atlantic Way and indeed the other brand, which is Iron Jane's East. And uh, Cork is very synonymous, I suppose, with both of those because uh, it covers both of those. So the Wide Atlantic Way starts in County Cork and so does the um, Iron Jane's East. So we're very proud, I suppose, to be involved in both brands. 
um, and you know talking about the wide Atlantic Way route uh, when it was established just over ten years ago now, but it has um, hugely developed over those ten years. It took a while to get it going, and uh, it has become increasingly popular. And it has become extremely popular in some parts of Ireland, and particularly uh, when it starts in uh, West Cork and, and moves on there down around the Barrier Peninsula. And the area there has got huge benefits from it. Um, and I suppose we discussed um, Wishfault Ireland over the last number of months and years now about developing the Wild Atlantic Way region. So we're asking people to come off the Wild Atlantic Way route and to, I suppose, uh, engage with a lot of the other tourism and attractions that we have uh, in that area. And we're glad to report now that the North Cork region and the Lee Valley have been included in the Wild Atlantic Way region. And I think that's and the, and, and the And the areas that are already incorporated into Ireland's ancient East Brand, will they rem- still remain? Absolutely, Patricia, because the island into East is uh, celebrating um, and I suppose trying to encourage a different type of tourist. So for the island into East, it's all about uh, history, it's all about architecture, it's all about our, our, our um, culture. And I think that's very, very important when it comes to the likes of North Cork because we have a lot of architectural uh, buildings. We have our castles, we have Danwell Park, we have Mallow Castle, we have Cantor Castle, we have Drishan Castle in Min Street. So there's an awful lot of, I suppose, um, you know, attractions from that point of view uh, for the island's ancient east but likewise we have an awful lot to offer from the wild Atlantic Way perspective where they're asking us to encourage people to go and look at our sceneries and look at our mountains and look at our walkways and we have those in abundance in North Cork so I think uh, you know in fairness to North Cork and the Lee Valley we have multitudes to offer and I'm glad that Fault Ireland has come on board now and said that we are going to be part of the wild Atlantic Way region and it's all about I suppose to promote promoting that brand and getting our tourism attractions and our businesses and our tourism providers uh, to buy into that. And I suppose, you know, that's critically important as well because Falter Ireland has organised a number of workshops and seminars for people who are involved in the tourism industry. This could be people like, say, the Ballyhack Lakes who provide an activity centre here in North Cork. It could be the local B&B. It could be the local restaurant that want to get themselves involved and promote themselves within the wild Atlantic Way region and to encourage people, I suppose, who are coming on the Wild Atlantic Way route to veer off that route at whatever stage and come and enjoy the experiences that we have to offer here. Yeah, the route that I can can see somebody saying I'm a bit confused. How can North Cork be in the Wild Atlantic Way? It's nowhere near the Atlantic. Um, The actual route remains the same. Yes. It's just the the branding becomes the Wild Atlantic Way region. Region. And you you have had many people on your uh, programme, Patricia, about the, I suppose, the capacity uh, of the route, the the Wild Atlantic Way route, uh, to cover for the people that really want to go on this uh, route. And we have had traffic congestions and we've had requests for uh, roads to be widened, etc., because of the fact that it has become so popular. Mm -hmm. So it's a victim of its own success. But what we're saying is for people who are on the Wild Atlantic Way route to veer off that route and stay an extra day in County Cork or stay an extra day in North Cork or Mid Cork or West Cork and to experience exactly what's around you because you might not necessarily uh, see what you want to see by being on the route. So you have to come off that route and go and, I suppose, look at the region and experience that region and, and, and reap the, the benefits from that. Now, you want businesses and stakeholders to, to, to really get involved with um, Fault Ireland because Fault Ireland are going to be running local workshops. You've got some details of those. 
That's right. So there's three workshops here in the North Cork and uh, the Limerick area for, for uh, Fault Ireland are organising them in, in cooperation with our tourism section in Cork County Council. Um, the first one is in Brough, I think, next Friday. And then the following Monday, it, there's one in Springford Hall in Mallow and, and the Tuesday, there's one in McCroom. So we're, we're, I suppose I would encourage uh, everybody that's involved in the business, the tourism business, and would encourage tourism um uh, people like tourists to come to their area to make sure to get involved in those and to, I suppose, um, embrace the wide Atlantic Way region uh, brands that is now there because if it is only a portion of success the wide Atlantic Way route is, Patricia, it'll have huge benefits economically and Absolutely. socially uh, for the North Cork region and for the Lee Valley region. And uh, John Paul, Brexit, is Brexit a big concern for our tourism industry? A lot of tourists come to Ireland from Britain. We could lose a number of them. Absolutely, Patricia, and there's a huge amount of uncertainty at the moment. And just to give you one example, because we're dealing with it on a constant basis within our Cork County Council, within our tourism section and our economic development section, 75% of the artisan producers in Ireland are based in County Cork. And, you know, out of that 75% of producers, they produce what is uh, locally produced, locally grown, locally uh, organised food, uh, be it cheese, be it um, chocolate, etc. That. All that uh, is exported to the broader markets in the UK and right across the world from the UK. So there's a huge onus on us as a, as a government and us as the people of Ireland to make sure that we do uh, our level best to make sure uh, that we work with um, all the agencies involved to make sure that Brexit isn't a hard Brexit and we're working to ensure that all those people like the food producers that are scattered right across, across County Cork that they don't come victims of Brexit uh, over the next couple of months and that is a really really difficult uh, challenge for us all uh, to face but you know it's changing by the hour it's not even changing by the day now uh, in, in England I think it's, it's really really concerning but I think in fairness to them um, the government and to all the other parties uh, they've held a very strong united view and I think we need to stick with that over the next couple of weeks where we're going to have very very difficult discussions on how we go forward OK listen we leave it there John Paul thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us that's North Cork Councillor um, good morning to you John Paul O'Shane just a reminder of those workshops which are entitled Creating Experience that Align to the Wild Atlantic Way and they've been operated by Fall to Ireland the first is this day week Friday the 12th of April Kennedy Rooms in uh, Brough then on Monday the 15th of April Springford Hall in Mallow and then the final one is in the Castle Hotel in McCroom on Tuesday the 16th of April anyone that's got any sort of a stakeholder anyone with any interest in tourism any kind of a business anything to sell a unique selling point we need to get get across the wonderful unique selling points that we have in North Cork and that we have in the Lee Valley pop along to any of those workshops well I'm giving advance notice of something that's happening can I give a quick mention to something that I'm involved with myself next Thursday night oh it's less than a week away now next Thursday night the 11th of uh, April I'm involved in organising a table quiz that's going to be on in Mona's Bar in uh, Mallow on Thursday the 11th of April at half past eight we're looking for tables of four please to come along for 40 euro and it is a fundraiser because myself and five other local women are going to Belarus on the May bank holiday 
weekend. Now we're funding the trip, we're paying our, our own way and of our own accommodation and all of that. But obviously when we're over there we're going to visit a number of families and we're trying to do a little bit of fundraising before we go so that if we come across and we know we will come across very needy cases that we will be able to say look we did some advanced fundraising here you go we'll be able to help them out so that's the idea behind this uh, table quiz and um, C103 very kindly given us lovely gift packs to give away as prizes for the table uh, quiz and I had a sneak look in to the gift packs and I can tell you quite valuable prizes including dare I say some tickets to the marquee so it's well worth coming along and enter it'll be a fun night out with all of the processes that say going to help out uh, needy families when we head to Belarus and the the first weekend in May the May Bank holiday weekend and it is and it was only after when I was getting arranging it and booking it and deciding on what we're going to do on our trip to Belarus I realised it is 20 and it's coming up to the 20th anniversary of my first trip to Belarus it was 1999 when I first went to Belarus and that was 1999 was the trip where I first I, I went to so many different orphanages but it was the orphanage where I saw that little blind girl standing all on her own in the corner and little was I ever to know that that little blind girl would five years later I would stand in a courtroom in Minsk and adopt her I could never have foreseen that that happened so I'm going back to try to check up on some of the other kids who are now young adults. Uh, I found the adult institution where they now are. Just want to make sure that they're being looked after. And we're also going to check in on some of the children who used to come as orphans. They used to come and stay with host families in the North Cork area. They are now young adults themselves, many of them with children of their own. And we're going to check up on some of those just to see how they're doing, because a lot of the host families have stayed in contact with them. And we just want to make sure that they're all uh, OK. So that trip is happening, as I say, for the May Bank holiday weekend. But if you'd like to give us a bit of a dig out and a help out, come along to Mona's Bar in Mallow next Thursday night, half past eight for that uh, table quiz. 1850 Somebody has suggested the Green Glens and the Donkey Sanctuary as unique selling points on the Wild Atlantic Way for uh, for those workshops that are going on. Yeah, they would be absolutely uh, unique uh, selling points. Now, a play that has been described as surreal and humorous but tinged with tragedy will be staged at the Mal Arts Centre in Yall tomorrow night. Crowman was written by Katie Holly with John Kenny, who joins me to chat more about this one-man show. Uh, good morning to you, John. Hi, 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 Patricia. Uh, you're, you're, you're always a pleasure to have you on the programme. Now, you play numerous characters, but primarily Dan. Des- I do. Yeah. Des- describe Dan to me. Well, uh, Dan is a guy in his 50s, and, uh, well, he could be, yeah, he could even be a bit older, but we put him at 50, with the early 50s, I'd say, and um, he lives on his own, and uh, he lives in, I suppose, I would say, North Cork. Uh, okay. And uh, he's uh, he's a very interesting character, and uh, his life, I suppose, is taken up mainly by we. He's he's very interested. He's only main social outlet, I suppose, is going to funerals. You know, he enjoys people's company, but he's very shy. He tends to sit back and observe, and I think he's a great observer. And I think um, that's one of the great strengths in Katie's writing because she uses Dan as a sort of a. Uh, 
an, an observation post on life and what goes on around him, you know. And uh, he's a bit of an eccentric, I'd say, maybe, but not too strange. But I suppose it has, in some ways, kind of disconnected him a little bit from from other people because of his difference. And because, not that he was very different, it's just that small little things, like, I suppose, that uh, he was always interested in, I suppose, growing up nature more so than playing hurling and... Uh, definitely had a huge interest in wildlife and music and and maybe found himself and read an awful lot because he's very well informed about everything, you know. And uh, so he, I suppose it's so... He's, he's found himself there on his own, living on his own. And... Um, but maybe not too many friends in life, I suppose. Really, yeah, you know? and, and and it strikes me as somebody who found it difficult in life to make friends. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you'd say that, yeah, and you wonder why. Uh, I suppose that unfolds too during the course of the play, like you know, and um, so it is very much. Um, but the play is very redemptive. In, in it is very redemptive, you know, that like. Um, there is there's hope, like, and that's the great thing about this. Play, yeah, like, about yeah. That, uh, But he, but he hears about the death of his friend Sheila. Yes, yeah. Did 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 he love Sheila? Do you think was he in love with Sheila? Well, I think in a sense you could say, yeah, but not in a in a physical sense, as we know some people would think of love now, you know. Yeah. But I think love in a very kind of pure kind of um, in in a beautiful way. Uh, that he kind of really respected her as the friend she was to him, which she was very caring, and she showed him that care, and she showed him a love that very few other people did, maybe, you know. In a sense, she understood him. Yeah, she got and him. And he does have a few people that understand him, all right, like, you know. But, is, is, but is, he, is he a likeable character, or, oh, is, lovable, or is, he, is he pitiful? Do you, do, you, do you have pity for him? Well, I don't think you do. I think the audience enjoy him. I mean, his right. great capability, one of his greatest capabilities is his, his, uh, his, his ability to survive, I suppose, which, which we all have. And what we find out during the course of the play is that, like, even within Dan's life, on hearing about the passing of Sheila, it evokes other memories. And in a sense, he tracks back on things that happened to him in his life. And they kind of plough up stuff that we suddenly realise this is why Dan is today. This is why he is. So in some ways, Sheila's passing has become a kind of a relief and a release for him because he's able, he's kind of tormented by it, but because he is a little bit and he thinks about other things, they, they kind of resolve themselves in the course of the play, you know. And that's when he'll switch to other characters when he starts to think about other characters. They Other characters surface throughout the play. No, I think the, the great, great guest thing that Katie has done with this is that, like, he, that's what you see in Dan. I mean, you asked me, was he likable? The audience love him. He's humorous. Yeah. He's a great observer of humanity and society around him because he is an onlooker. He's the guy that sits in the corner. Not too much, but just because he's a bit shy and a little bit... But he's observing things. And he sees the kind of silliness that we go on with, you know, that happens. And he's able to transform. He's able to entertain himself with that when he gets back home, and this is what the audience hears. <laughs> like uh, you know, he's he's just a brilliant observer of us all, you know. And and it, it strikes me that there are a number of Dans living in 
rural Ireland and, and living in uh, isolation and, and in some cases society has just forgotten about them. Yeah, well, I would, even beyond that, uh, Patricia, I think there's a lot of dance living in urban society. Yeah, yeah. We are surrounded completely by every means of communication we have now. And I don't. I think we have a society that's probably more cut off and more isolated in a lot of ways than they ever were, especially from their communities. The sense of community is something that, like, seems irrelevant anymore because people think of themselves part of the global community, you know, which is a bit ridiculous. They'll have conversations with people on the other side of the world and they don't know who's living beside them. Yeah. You know, because, yeah. you know, you have friends on internet, you know, and you have debates on internet and you have everything, you know. And yet you don't know so, your neighbour's name. Now, so that, is, that is so true. Become, that is so true. It's very easy to become isolated nowadays. And there's a huge thing within this whole piece. I mean, this piece is very funny. It's very humorous. And it, it jumps from, like, it's a real roller coaster of a ride, like, I mean, where you suddenly are faced with something that's very dark and very serious, and then the next minute it just skips on. Because that's, his, that's one of his survival techniques as well. You know, so we kind of really get to see how he survives, you know. Tell me about the writer, Katie Holly. She's, she's from Charleville, is she? She's North Cork. She is indeed. Yeah, Katie's from Charleville. I met yeah. uh, Katie a good few years ago. She's done a lot of plays with Kevin O'Shea and Shoestring. Um, she's got many talents. <laughs> yeah. She has a lot of talent. And uh, Katie's a great vocalist as well. She's a great musician, great songwriter. And uh, this is her third play. So, um, yeah, Katie's a good observer because... Uh, Did she write it with you in mind? Well... I think so. Yeah. <laughs> you would like to think so. About that, yeah. As I said to someone, if someone else had done uh, Dan, or, you know, she did very much, and we did it for the festival last year in um, the Summer Festival in Cork, but, like, I couldn't, this is my first outing with it now since then because I've been busy doing other stuff, having time to put a tour together and to try and get it around the country so people can see it because I think the piece deserves to be seen. So it's... You know, it's not easy, I suppose, putting out a new play and taking it out there. And, um, but it's, I know every night I do it, it gets a standing ovation. So yeah, I, w- I, w- I was reading some of the reviews yesterday evening. I mean, it's it's getting, it, people are getting it. They, they, oh, they really, really are getting, getting it, it yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah. Which is, so, so cre- credit to you, but credit to Katie, the writer, Absolutely, as, yeah, um, sure. as well. As I say, like, if somebody else had done it, it might be a different piece because, I suppose that's the thing, performers are performers as well. You, you know, I mean, I would see Dan in a certain way, maybe another performer might see him in another Completely way. Completely different, yeah, uh, yeah. something that always yeah. goes on between performers and writers or interpretations of plays by directors or anyone, you know. And you're in the Mal uh, Arts Centre in Yall tomorrow night, one night only. Have yeah, you have you any other, any, any other venues coming up locally around Cork City and County where you'll be, do you know, off the top of your uh, head? Off the top of my head, yeah. I probably will have. I'm going to do a kind of a, I think there's an island tour lined up that is part of um, West Cork County Council, which I'd like to do, actually, where they go to four or five islands. Going out to so, Shirkin and Bear Island and... Yeah, yeah. Oh, fab. Over the summer, and I'll be down in West Cork doing it. Um, we haven't got a date yet for... Oh, Cork let City. us know when you have a date for that. Yeah, we should be yeah. in Cork City as well in the autumn, in hopefully the Everyman or some venue anyway, you know. Okay. 
Okay. And uh, we're in Glore tonight in Ennis and we're just, you know, I'm taking it back. It's doing Dunleary, the Villian and... Well done, well done. And, and, uh, and outside of Crowman, how is life and how are you doing and how are you health-wise and all of that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I got very lazy for this. I'm looking out, thinking, but I keep blaming the weather at the moment because you sort of say to yourself when you get back, you say, Jesus, but I go out and sort out the garden and stuff because I love being outside, you know. But you go out and... T- it's that headstone and you come back you'd have then, to come in out of it and then the sun would come out and then you go back out and it starts snowing <laughs> <laughs> it's been like that since January so, you know so have you, ha, are you telling me you've planted no vegetables yet is that what you're trying to tell nothing, me absolutely nothing absolutely nothing okay. All right. I swear to God I haven't and I haven't done a thing and I've herbs waiting and stuff to, that I want to plant up for the for the eating for the summer, you know. There'll be loads of time for it, yes. Listen, en- yeah. enjoy your, your trip around Ireland with uh, with Crowman and John. As always, it's a pleasure to have you on the programme. Thank you for that. Great. And listen, thanks. And I'm looking forward to the show tomorrow night, y'all. Enjoy. I've never done the venue, so I'm it would be great to do it down there OK God bless mind right. yourself Thanks take care bye bye the wonderful John uh, Kenny tomorrow night one night only the Mal Arts Centre in Yall You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed Some of your calls coming in this, uh, to us today earlier today I spoke with Councillor Kevin Conway who was talking about a problem that he discovered last year and he's been working on it since and it's to do with the council and the green estate areas and being handed over from a private developer goes over under the control of the council and the council does maintenance work now they don't cut the grass in all areas but in a lot of areas it does and any kind of maintenance work that needs to happen and in some cases it seems that it's some kind of a legal loophole where the land still belongs to the developer now the worry for the housing estates and the people and the residents living there is that the developer and are their direct descendants could come back and start looking for ground rent and there has been some problems around the country. It certainly is a, le- a loophole that the Minister for Housing, Owen Murphy, and I know people would say, God almighty, hasn't he enough to be doing as it stands? But it, it's something he certainly needs to look into and, and uh, that was the one thing that came through uh, quite powerfully from Councillor Kevin Conway who's been working quite hard on this. Well, David has an example of something that very much ties in with what Kevin was talking about. A relative of his bought a house. There were a couple, bought a house back in the 60s and then when the relative passed away, it was when the house was passed on. It was willed to somebody. I don't know whether it was passed on to to the wife or to a child or to a family member and it was only then when they were looking at transferring obviously the title deeds from the relative onto whoever was left the house that they discovered there was a bit of a problem. They ended up having to go to the registry office in Dublin and it came back that the man who had died believing he bought his house lock, stock and barrel in the 1960s he didn't own his front garden and it wasn't just him there was other portfolios in the estate they were still in the builder's name. It took five years of legal wrangling to sort it out and obviously there would have been costs involved uh, in that. So I think this issue that Kevin Conway is raising and bringing to the fore, it is going to affect a lot more people because it's particularly now coming to light on estates that were built private estates that were built in the 70s and in the 80s and in David's case it happened with a relative of his from the 60s so it's kind of one of those things watch this space. We were talking about the local property tax earlier 
James Embury says very disappointed about the whole thing with local property tax and particularly at the moment this week they seem to be just making a political football out of this uh, tax which James says please remember was brought in by the Troika it should be measured by square metres so you would pay for the property tax based on the size of your house rather than the value of the house James feels that's a much fairer way to do it. We all know that they're delaying, this is the government are delaying the review of the local property tax and it's all to do with local elections and European elections. They particularly don't want their Fine Gael candidates being attacked at the gates at the doors and the doors of houses which James feels is no way at all to do business in modern era. And James, some are even more cynical to say it isn't just the local elections and the Europeans because the way it's been deferred until November of next year and then the payments wouldn't kick in until 2021. There'd be another general election in between as well. So people, some of the cynical ones are saying it's been done for that reason as well. Thank you for your call, James. Now, we've had some commentary in on the Wild Atlantic Way and this was the interview we carried in the last hour that North Cork and the Lee Valley are to come in under the banner and brand of the Wild Atlantic Way. Now, it obviously isn't been tagged on to the route of the Wild Atlantic Way, but it's going to come in the Wild Atlantic Way region. That's kind of feel about it. And what they're hoping to do, Fault Ireland are hoping to do, and the marketing team behind the brand are hoping to do, that people that travel on the Wild Atlantic Way, they're going to say to them, look, while you're there, while you're in that area, for example, when they're, when they're on the stretch of Cork from the Wild Atlantic Way, uh, why not come off the Wild Atlantic Way and why not go take a look at what's happening in North Cork? Why not go take a look at what's happening in the Lee Valley? And they'll have all of the unique selling points branded for that area to tell people about it. Now the, the And the Wild Atlantic Way has been hugely successful. But people on the Wild Atlantic Way, I'm wondering how the businesses there are going to be thinking about this because it basically is removing people from the Wild Atlantic Way and say, OK, you've done your bit now, go off somewhere else and spend your money instead. I mean, that's my only worry. That's my only concern. I think anything we can do to brand tourism, but I just, I don't want it to be diluted too much. That would be my main concern. Some of your thoughts coming in on this. Jared on Twitter at C103 Cork says, Wild Atlantic Way and Ireland's ancient east are both including towns and cities which are not in either of the areas. I'm all for tourism and I'm all for successful tourism. Uh, but really, this is a bit of a stretch of the imagination. They're pushing it too far uh, away. That's from uh, Gerard. Also, Kevin Amalo says, North Cork needs to get behind this and it needs to market itself. It's the only area of Cork, Kevin Amalo feels, that's been left behind when it comes to marketing an area from a tourism point of view. Looking around at the towns throughout North Cork, all Kevin says I see is more and more dereliction when it comes to the buildings. So I hope that they offer services in. So I hope that the services in the area and in people that are involved in tourism and people that are involved in catering and hotels and cafes, that they get behind this initiative. Because Kevin says, when you look at West Cork and how they market themselves, just go to any of the town centres in West Cork and you'll see they're vibrantly painted. They're all looking great. Something similar is happening in East Cork. 
but it doesn't seem to happen when it comes to tourism in the North Cork uh, area. So he thinks this is a very welcome, very good news and he hopes that it's just marketed well and that North Cork does well out of it. That's from Kevin in Mallow. Tom in Canturk says... That is a better solution rather than having another brand. Okay, the Wild Atlantic Way is already well known. So instead of setting up another brand, I think this is going to work really well, especially for areas of Duhalo, which have so much to offer, but a lot of tourists don't know about it. So there's somebody. So there are a number of people very much welcoming what uh, Board Falter have decided to do. We, as they say, watch this space. We will keep a close eye on it and just see how exactly they are going to uh, market it. Now, some commentary in on Dan. Dan contacted us because he was out last week having a cup of coffee in Costa Coffee in Mallow and he said everything was great. Staff were great. Coffee was lovely. Everything was fine, except... The table next to him had three adults and a five-year-old child. The adults, and I'm assuming, I'm picturing the scene as three moms out meeting for lunch. And one of them has to bring the child with them because either the child had a day off school or maybe was unwell or maybe hasn't started school yet. I don't know. So the three sitting down having the chat and catching up with each other. And the child, and these are Dan's words, were, was plonked in front of a mobile phone watching some kids' cartoons. Not blaming the child, says Dan, but the volume of the phone was at full height and the entire coffee shop had to endure this racket that went on for about an hour and he was really annoyed. And then to add to that, another mother came in. Now, I don't know whether she joined those three mothers or not or was at a different table, but proceeded to change the nappy of the baby on the seat in the middle of the cafe instead of going in uh, to the toilet. So he just said ignoramuses was how he described it. And he just felt that the there's a generation growing up who are very rude, very obno- obnoxious and that they're a selfish race is, is what he's saying. But we in particular were homing in on the young child with the mobile phone and it blaring and what needs to be done about it. Some of your comments uh, in on that. Uh, Mary says, if Dan is not too busy in the restaurant, could he go and give us a hand with our grandchildren when we take them out? When we go out for uh, a meal um, and if he if he was helping out, he would then realise how important the iPads and the tablets and the phones are. How lucky he is to be able to go out for a meal on his own. Does he want us to stay inside all the time? Mary says, tell Dan to cop on. I'm sick of the likes of him giving out and judging other people. So I suppose walk in my shoes kind of a thing before you start to uh, give out. Some of your WhatsApps in on this. Hi, Patricia. Only yesterday I was having a coffee and a young child was on his dad's phone and very obviously playing some kind of a game. The child was losing at the game and the child was getting frustrated. The child was shouting. The child was cursing at the phone. This is all in public view of everybody else. The dad made no attempt to correct the child. Well, my children were that age. Okay, I bribed them with a sticky bun or maybe a hot chocolate, but they were taught to sit and they were taught how they, and they were taught how to learn to behave at a table when eating out didn't always go well but at least they learned how to behave I always had a bag this is interesting with a few coloured clothes pegs it's a great cheap toy and the children get to use their imagination you can make fab shapes from the plastic clothes pegs clothes pegs were a life saver 
when my children were growing up. Okay, I know some will say what a rubbish idea, but by the way, two of my children have grown up to become engineers. Ah, well done. And who knows, maybe it was because that clipping all the pegs together and it got their mind active. So yeah, so other ways of doing it. You don't have to plank your child with the tablet. You don't have to give them uh, your phone. The theory being, how did we all grow up ourselves and how did previous generation raise, raise children? And they do need to learn how to behave when they're out in public. That's all part of growing up, uh, isn't it? And then another texter says, Patricia, parents need to control their children. No ifs, ands or buts. If they can't do it, then keep them at home until they learn to behave. Yeah, see that I, I can see the point there as well. How is the child ever going to know this is the way you behave when you're out in public. This is the way you behave when you go to a restaurant, when you're having a meal. And we've all, you know, we've all as children went through stages that where you were bored out of your mind because the adults were talking. But is that part of growing up? Is it part of just the learning? You learn to sit and have your meal. And if you're very good, you'll get a dessert or you might get a, you know, a fizzy drink or something at the end of it. Or the bribe, as the other texter says, of a sticky bun. If you're being very good, is, is that all part of it? And if we don't teach children that, how do they ever learn the skills? I suppose that's the points there some of the points that are coming in. 1850 Can I go back to weddings for a second? Because weddings came up on the programme yesterday and we were talking about gifts for weddings and in particular we were talking about some people being very generous and other people not being so generous. Bernadette says, Patricia, on the subject of weddings, four of my family came to my daughter's wedding very recently and they gave nothing, not even a card or a good wish. And this, by the way, is not the first time they've done this at family weddings. I love your programme, says Bernadette. And can I say back to you, Bernadette, you're you're not the first text that we've had in like that. I don't know what it is about family weddings and some people, because it's a family, feel they don't have to give. Because I imagine, and you may be able to answer this yourself, Bernadette, if that same members of your family were going to a friend's wedding or a neighbour's wedding, would they have turned up without any, without having given a gift or without giving a card? And, and I'm sure the answer is no. But why is it that some, not, not all, but some family members think it's OK to go to another member of the family's wedding and that you don't have to, to give anything? So certainly we had some calls in similar uh, to exactly what you were describing, Bernadette. And on the flip side of it, we also had some calls in from people who said when it came to giving gifts that family members were more generous when they were giving to another family member than they were with friends. I mean, we particularly godchildren. Godchildren seem to have done very well. And in many, I'm not saying in all cases, a godchild, a godparent is related. But in many cases, it'll be an aunt or an uncle, won't it, would be the godparent uh, to a child. And certainly we got some calls and texts in saying godparents were particularly uh, generous. But all I can say, Bernadette, you're not on your own. Now, somebody was talking about the... what happened with the Airbnb and the camera. This was the most bizarre story. Somebody was asking where did it happen? All we know is it happened somewhere in County Cork. They're not saying where. It was in the city. It certainly was uh, somewhere in the county. And the Office of the Data Protection Commissioner is now looking for information from Airbnb after the family found a hidden camera in their letting. They were a family with the Baker Barker family. They're from New Zealand and they seem to be travelling around Ireland 
they were on a tour of Ireland and there's you know there's a lot of mum, mum and dad and about four or five children from the photograph I saw so I see the cheapest way of visiting this country it's expensive enough to fly from New Zealand but the cheapest way to travel around this country obviously is to do Airbnbs it can work out very cheaply for a large family like that. So they were travelling around and it was while they were staying in an Airbnb somewhere in County Cork on the 3rd of March they came across a camera in the living room and it was only because they were technical that the dad worked out uh, what it was. Uh, and people are saying, how shocking is this and how can this be allowed to happen and would you ever trust an Airbnb uh, again? Well, I read a piece from a tech, uh, he's a tech editor with the Irish Independent, uh, Adrian Week. And he was saying that hidden cameras are a reoccurring plague for WhatsApp and obviously for the guests. Now, the reason for it is that some property owners are afraid that they are going to get in feckless guests who will come in and literally trash the place. So the best way to prove that the guests acted properly or didn't wreck the place would be to install cameras and they're saying that they're doing it to protect their uh, properties. Now officially Airbnb rules state that a host that's the property owner can put a video camera in some parts of the property. Now they suggest places they can put them into the living room, they can put them into the kitchen, dining room but if they do that they have to make it very clear to the customer at the time that the rental is booked that there are security cameras in the living room of the kitchen and they're done to make sure that the property doesn't get wrecked. You know what I mean? They, but they have to clearly state that they are there. And obviously, for very obvious reasons, they're never allowed to put cameras into bathrooms. They're never allowed to put them into uh, bedrooms. And if a landlord secretly puts one in without saying, as would seem happened here in the case of this uh, family, guest is entitled to a full refund, uh, which, which obviously they have received. Uh, but, it, but the privacy laws... There, there, we're really, that's what's going to come into question here and is really going to have to be looked at. And that's why the Office of the Data Protection Commissioner is seeking more information from Airbnb. But I imagine anyone who's ever stayed at an Airbnb before will be wondering, was there a camera on me? And it was only that the, the dad in this case, it's five, there was five children. Uh, the dad in this case was a bit of a tech whiz himself. And he found that they were being filmed from a live feed, which suddenly popped up on his phone, on his mobile phone. And they were all clearly able to see themselves. And they actually took photographs of themselves. And they're, they're in a lot of the papers uh, today. And obviously Airbnb have apologised. That particular letting has been removed from their site so that it can't happen again. And the family did get a full refund. 1850 You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103. 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. There's a coffee morning on as we speak. It's in aid of the Cork Simon community. It's in Kearney Centre in Bally Desmond and it'll be on until two o'clock this afternoon. The Ballandangan players are presenting Play On in Ballandangan tonight, tomorrow night, and again on Sunday, eight o'clock each night, with tickets available at the door. 
the Inkwell Theatre are presenting Cash on Delivery that's a hilarious comedy by Michael Cooney it's at the Theatre in Mananbridge and it opens tonight and runs again Saturday and Sunday and again the following weekend 8 o'clock each night Bingo is on in Kildallery Parish Hall half past 8 with this week's jackpot 750 euro and the Great Irish Bake Sale fundraiser for Temple Street Children's Hospital is taking place in the Bratavia Furniture Shop in Formoy uh, today and you're invited to please go along and support and Clyde Rovers GAA are hosting their lotto draw in Derry Murphy's Railway Bar that's on tonight jackpot 12,500 euro and tickets will be are, are available from Jerry O'Donoghue. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joining us in studio. Good afternoon to you. And you went along, sorry, wrong microphone on. You went along, there good afternoon. You went along to see Cold Pursuit. And then on DVD, The Girl in the Spider's Web. Okay, we have a trailer for Cold Pursuit. He killed my only son. He got mixed up with some drug deal by the name of Viking. I'm gonna kill these guys. Really? Someone wants me dead. We had turf war. I will have blood for blood. What the hell's wrong with you? What are you doing? Good job. Where'd you learn to kill a man? I read it. Crime novel. Okay, this is Cold Pursuit. This is, we've got an action crime drama going on here. Yeah, what's interesting is listening back to oh, the trailer. Hmm? Sorry, Liam I just Neeson. realised it's Liam Neeson. It is Liam Neeson. Yeah. Uh, he's Stop got a, it. He's got a particular <laughs> set of skills, you know. Uh, so, um, what's interesting listening back to the trailer, the trailer gives the impression that it's kind of a comedy thriller and it isn't in any way, shape or form a it comedy. Was, I think it was the music as well, sort of. That's why I was saying, oh, this is kind of like a comedy. And it's it's like, a, oh no, hang on, I was sick, this is an action. It's kind of light-hearted little kind of trailer, yeah. But when he kills, the first man he kills, he, he strangles him to death and I can tell you, the scene goes on a bit. And whilst you're watching it, you're thinking, all oh, right, it's one of these, one of these ones, is it? Oh, crikey. Uh, what's interesting is both of these films, Cold Pursuit and also The Girl on the Spider's Web, come from that kind of background that we've seen over the last few years of kind of Scandinavian kind of TV and writing and, and films which have become hugely, hugely popular. I've seen very little of it myself, I have to be honest, because okay. I don't really watch dramas that much. I tend to watch kind of very short, kind of small things. I watch movies and a bit of sport on TV, so I tend not to watch dramas. So I've actually watched it. So there are, there, of both of these movies, there are kind of Scandinavian originals which I haven't seen. Uh, this uh, Cold Pursuit is directed by Hans Peter Moland. Now he had um, already made this in Scandinavia, in Norway. It was called Kraftedinen, I think is what it was called. Now I haven't seen it, but it does seem to suffer and a lot of kind of uh, reviewers seem to feel this way and I don't. They always, I often think that they're almost kind of designed and resigned to kind of th- think, okay, because it's an American Hollywood film, it's not as good as the original and this is what uh, tends to happen happen with these kind of movies that are remade in Hollywood. Mm. People say, look, they're not as good as the original. They're not as gritty. They're not as dark. They're not as kind of classy as those. They've been kind of Hollywooded up ever so slightly. Now, I've never kind of felt that way. No, I have to be honest, I haven't seen the original. And uh, the original had a pretty good cast. And I mean, it had Stellan Skarsgård and was very, very well received. They brought Hans Peter Moldand over from uh, Norway and said, look, remake the film. We'll give you loads of money. He remakes it. 
and it tends not to be kind of accepted as well as the original ah, film, which okay. is very really odd. And I, don't, I have no idea why that Particularly is. Particularly with the same director. Exactly. You would yeah. think that. And in fact, I believe a lot of the scenes here are almost kind of word for word and scene by scene, almost kind of very, very similar. Uh, I presume um, one of the things that one of the criticisms of the film is, in fact, uh, Liam Neeson, because Liam Neeson turned it into a taken movie rather than Stellan Skarsgård, <laughs> who was in the original, I Which believe. Which is not Ruby what Dark. Liam Neeson does best. Exactly. Well, this is the film that he was promoting when he said that stupid thing uh, just oh. recently. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. first of all, he's a snowplow driver. Uh, he's uh, he, he he works in the snow and he clears the roads for people, and so therefore, because he's in the outdoors and because he's a hunter, uh, he has a particular set of skills here uh, when it comes to killing people and he kills an awful lot of people because he finds out that uh, his son has died of a heroin overdose but he says my, my son uh, has never taken heroin no he hasn't so he goes to try and find the people who have killed him one by one uh, what's yes, interesting is uh, revenge yeah exactly it's a revenge film so therefore it does uh, on occasions turn into very much into Taken uh, um, and, and that, I think that's a bit of a pity because I think if it was darker and I think if it was kind of grittier then I think it would have worked maybe because um, there are times, you know, when it gets a bit silly, as you heard in the trailer there, and you think this is humour that doesn't really, really quite work. So why do, why do they do that? The interesting thing about the, his son in this movie is actually um, played by his own son. Uh, his oh. own, yeah, Michal Richardson. Uh, and uh, he doesn't look anything like him, though. Uh, Michal Richardson. Michal Richardson, yeah. Well, Michael Richardson, but we call him Michal. Oh, he's got a father. I, I, father his name. Yeah, there's a father in us. Yeah, so yeah, it is yeah. Michal. Exactly. Um, so this is oh, like... Oh, because a, the mother... He's taken the mother's name. Yes. Richardson. Yeah, obviously he decided to do that to try and, you know, have a career which isn't then influenced by his father. So. All right, OK. Yeah. Fair juice. Yeah. Fair juice, OK. He's so not doing a Kardashian and dining out on the family name. Exactly. Yeah, okay. exactly. Uh, so the thing is that, that uh, his son gets killed so it's a big, big revenge movie as he goes out to kill them uh, one by one in incredibly violent uh, kind of nasty uh, ways and that's why he said the thing he said recently which was really, really kind of um, not very well received throughout the world because basically this is a man who's out of control uh, just with rage and this is how he behaves and this is why even though as he kind of almost cynically said in the trailer you know uh, he knows how to kill because he read it in, in a book once yeah. you know what I mean um, has he, so, by the way has he recovered from that controversy um, he's still apologising I read something yesterday again where um, you know the, the headline said Neeson's still apologising for what he said so yeah. Uh, yeah but you know what it's like these days you say anything controversial uh, it's out there and keyboard and they reckon it affected the movie it did affect the movie because yeah. that's it then because of what he said uh, people didn't go and see it but then the reviews to it haven't been really really very okay, good Okay so you know? so, you, so it's hard to know was it because yeah. of what happened and I, or think it, it? I think it possibly was yeah and I yeah. think that's a bit of a shame um, you know um, what's interesting it's a modern western is what it is because he just gets to kill an awful lot of people and every now and then every time he kills somebody this kind of on screen graphic comes up with the man's name and his nickname and uh, a kind of a cross above his head to show okay that's it he's gone on to the next guy oh. and by the end of the film there's an awful lot of graphics and an awful lot of crosses I can tell you as people just die constantly you know throughout the film I don't think it was as bad as people said it was it's certainly not as bad as something like Taken 2 which was a ridiculous movie but I kind of enjoyed it and he's always worth watching and um, I think and some of the bad guys are ridiculous they all have nicknames like uh, Viking and Mustang and Speedo I have no idea why but they are the most handsome I'll tell you this they're the most handsome bad guys I've ever seen makes it easier uh, but uh, yeah I, like and I didn't well. think it was as bad as people said okay uh, so was. Mark out of 10? I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, I'll give it a six. Six out of ten. Okay. Yeah. It's Cold Pursuit. And that's at the, it's in the movies at the moment. Okay. The DVD then is The Girl in the Spider's Web. 
Yeah, and again, uh, from a, a Scandinavian kind of background, uh, the Stig Larsson books, uh, this is the follow-up to The Girl with the Dragon uh, Tattoo. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, which was, um, which again, which wasn't a very, very big hit because, again, people compared it to the original yeah. Norwegian film and said, yeah. look, it's not as good as that. I mean, they did pile a ton of money into the film. I mean, I think The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo had a budget of something like uh, 90 million. It had a pretty good star in uh, Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara, and the film just didn't do so well. So with this film, they decided, look, we're not going to spend all that amount of money. We'll give them 43 million uh, to make this one. And uh, this one stars Claire Foy in a performance, nothing like The Crown, by the way, I should point out. Okay. Uh, she plays the character of Elizabeth Salander, who's uh, kind of a she's kind of a vigilante, she's kind of a James Bond type figure, you know. And at the start of the film, for example, she um, she abuses and beats up this um, this um, this businessman who ha- who likes to beat up prostitutes. So so she hacks into his bank account and gives all the money to the prostitutes and gives all the money to his wife and says to his wife, "You go away, I'll take care of this guy." And she becomes known, in fact, uh, you know, throughout um, uh, Stockholm as this kind of uh, vigilante figure. Uh, the thing about this film is that it, they are trying to make it like a female version of James Bond, but the budget, yeah. unfortunately, isn't good enough for that. I think. Whereas the original films were, the, I mean, The Girl with the Tra- Dragon Tattoo was a very different film, very violent, very, very bleak. Yeah. Whereas this isn't. This is very glossy. This does look like a, a Bond movie at at times. And um, and if they had invested the money into it, they would have pulled it off. I think so. Yeah, because that's the thing about Bond is what, you know it's the amount of money they spend. Exactly. On and if you want, yeah, exactly. And if you want to make a Bond movie, you have to have a big, big uh, budget. You know, if you're trying to Special do the fantasy. And, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. So there are times when uh, you know the film does look a little bit on the cheap side, but it's got a brilliant performance by Claire Foy, who really is very, very good as this character. Uh, she is asked by Stephen Merchant, who has it was this computer hacker who has developed this software that can hack into the kind of computer codes for uh, nuclear co- computer pro- co- codes all over the world. He realizes what he's done. Somebody steals it. He asks her to get it back. Uh, they then believe that the, the, the governments of the world believe that in fact she's trying to keep it for herself. Uh, so she then um, be, you know, uh, she comes to the attention of the uh, Swedish Secret Service. So therefore, she's got like four or five different kind of groups trying to come after her to try and get her, their hands uh, on the computer codes. And I thought it was very, very interesting. I thought it was a pretty good movie. I didn't think that um, in any way. Age of your seat stuff? Yeah, I mean, there are yeah. some very, very interesting um, kind of action sequences. And Claire Foy really is very, very She's good. Great. I mean, it's directed by uh, Fede Alvarez, uh, who um, made uh, quite a lot of horror movies. He made that film called Don't Breathe, which I told you about, about the two, uh, the couple who um, break into a house of a blind man. Oh, uh, in, yeah. Of course, yeah. the film, because the, the whole film yeah. is pretty much set in the dark and they can't yeah. breathe because he will hear them. Yeah. Uh, so he's a very, very good director. And, you know, the film didn't do very well. It did flop, which is a, which is a pity. Uh, because I think it's better than that. Both films are actually better than I think they're getting credit for. But again, I think it's a lot of reviewers saying, look, they're not as good as the originals. We want to. And I think there's a little kind of a hip and cool kind of a thing uh, to that. You know, they're not as good as the originals. Go watch the originals. Yeah, and people want the, it. Yeah, but in yeah, fact, yeah. as these so films they're, they're go, worth watching, you're saying? I think very much so, yeah. Yeah, OK. So that's The Girl in the Spider's Web. Mark it out of 10? I'll give it a 6 as well. 6 out of 10. OK, thank you for that, Mark. That's okay. Mark Lowe our movie review. We'll talk to him next Friday. Texter says, I'm annoyed over the grandmother's reply to Dan's complaint. Dan was complaining about the child uh, being too noisy in the restaurant and a grandmother said that if, you know, Dan 
if you had that much time in his hands, he should be helping out the families, not giving out instead. What Dan's, this texter says, Dan's main point was about the noise level of the phone that the child was using. Also, to hear him say that a mother came in and changed the child's nappy in a restaurant, in the middle of the restaurant. Oh my God, what can you say about that? Dan is perfectly right in his complaints. If it was of me, I'd have complained to the staff. So Dan is a quieter man. Thank you for that. And uh, could you, Patricia, could you give a mention, please, and announce that there's a dance in the Theo Park tonight. Music is by Adrian Ryan. Thanking you from everybody in Theo Park. Uh, okay, that's where I leave you for today. I will be handing you over to Nick Richards. And Nick Richards is starting our Feel Good Friday today, where we're going to be bringing you six hours of Feel Good. That's some of the greatest music to make you feel really good. He'll Nick will do it until four o'clock and then he hands over to uh, Martina and we will be doing it every Friday here on C103. That's Feel Good, for turning up the Feel Good factor for uh, Cork. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. We'll be back with you on Monday morning and we're going to be addressing the issue of children being asked in schools not to eat meat. This is the Free Meat Monday. Farmers, very, very angry about this. We will deal with that topic on Monday. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 